Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our associate and student pastor, Matt Willingham. So good to welcome all of you here at our Valparaiso location. I want to welcome all of you at Wanata and MPH at Westville at uh, North Justin. Come on, can you put your hands together? They're watching at their campuses this morning, watching in the living room this morning. So good to see all of you this morning. Chris and Ruth, good to see you with your new addition this morning in the back. I know Chris is going to hate me that I called him out for that, but I haven't seen him. They got a new baby, new addition to their family. I, think, I, feel like, I feel like Heartland has a new baby every weekend with somebody. So, yeah, there, there she is. She snuck in late. You have your baby with you as well? There she is. She's got a baby. I'm telling you, we got babies all, all over the place. Don't drink the water here if you don't want a baby. I'm just telling you. If something happens around here. And uh, so, so good to see y'all and, and the new additions to Heartland family and your family. I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to go this morning, Luke chapter 24. We've been in a series this year. We've been looking at questions God asked, and the question we're going to look at this morning is, what are you talking about? Look at the person you're sitting next to. Just ask them. Say, what are you talking about? What are, what are you talking about? Never ask that in the middle of a conversation with your spouse. That usually does not end in a good thing. What are you talking about? I wasn't even listening to anything you were saying. Never go with that response uh, when you're in conversation. Luke chapter 24, we're going to go to the word this morning. Verse 13 is where we're going to start. We're going to read 13 through 17, and then we'll read on later on in the message. Two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. This is after Jesus has been killed. This is after he's been buried. He's been resurrected. There's been a couple of sightings of him already. They're trying to debate what's going on and try to figure out. Verse 13 says, now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. People say this is on Sunday. This is after the, re- the day of the resurrection. They're on a, uh, on, on, a vill- on a road on a village going to a place called Emmaus, about seven miles. How many miles? How many miles? Seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, and their faces were downcast. What are you talking about? Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for your goodness, for your grace and mercy. God, thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And Lord, he resurrected on the third day, and because of him, we can have relationship with you today. So, God, I just pray, Lord, that... As we are here in your presence this morning, that you will just open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, our minds to what it is you have to say to us today. God, let us leave different than how we were when we walked in, than how we were when we showed up, than how we were when we clicked online to join today. God, I pray that you will challenge and change every one of us in this place today. In Jesus' mighty name. And come on, everybody said amen. Amen. What are you talking about? We're all family here. And by a show of hands, if we can be honest, uh, who here has been disappointed this week? Somebody let you down, situation let you down. Come on, raise your hand nice and high. You've been disappointed by circumstance, anything going on. All right, we've all experienced disappointment this week. Disappointment, if we're honest, is part of an everyday part of our life. Disappointment is powerful. 
we experience disappointment for many reasons, many different ways. Matter of fact, I was, uh, went to Wanita campus last week for Easter for the second service and went over there and I was hanging out with them and, and they have a lot of new faces I have not seen uh, and I haven't met yet. And so this one gentleman, his name uh, was, was Manuel. Manuel, I've heard of his story because Pastor Matthew's been sharing how he comes and they, they met, I think, at Walmart. Manuel works at Walmart and just started talking and discussing and he now comes to our Wanita campus. He's He's a musician, starting to play on the worship team, like incredible story, young man. And, uh, and so I'm there at church, and he walks up, and he's just like staring at me awkwardly. He's just going to be out. He's like kind of looking at me, and I'm like, Mom, what's up? And I can tell like he doesn't, hasn't officially met me, and I'm like, well, maybe, I'm like, hey, what's going on? I'm Matt. He goes, hey, I'm Manuel. He goes, I've seen you preach. He goes, he goes, I love your messages. He goes, I love watching Pastor Phil. He goes, it's so great to finally meet you. But then he just stares at me, and I'm like, what did I do? to this individual, and he kind of like gives me this up and down look, and I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I'm a little disappointed. I go, why is that? He goes, you look much taller on the screen than you are in person. I go, whoa, man. Like, I was like, Manuel, I, I just, you just met. He goes, I'm just saying. He goes, when I look at you, I always thought you was a lot bigger, and now I look at you and you're not. And I'm like, I've never felt like a small man in my life except at that, that point. And, and in that moment, he was a little dis- disappointed uh, in my stature and and all of us we've experienced some form of disappointment though right and we've we know what it what it's like to be disappointed to be let down by people by circumstances by situations sometimes we feel disappointed because maybe we're exhausted physically emotionally spiritually we've we've spent everything we have and yet things still aren't working out or still things aren't turning around and so we find ourselves disappointed, we're despair, maybe we're, we're empty because we've exhausted our resources, maybe because we've given everything we've, we've got and we haven't received anything back from other people. Maybe sometimes we feel like that way towards God. We just find ourselves feeling empty. Life didn't work out the way we thought it would. Things was different than how we thought it should be, so we find ourselves disappointed. Maybe we've ever found ourselves being trapped because of circumstances in life. We feel there's no way out. There's no way for things to get better. There's no way things are going to turn around. And so because of this entrapment, we have this feeling of disappointment. Maybe we have ourselves feeling disappointed because we have these unmet expectations. Come on, all the married people say amen. We know what that's like, right? A lot of times in marriage, that's really one of the biggest frustrations as I talk to young couples and as we do premarital counseling before their, their weddings, we always talk about expectations and unmet expectations and how oftentimes disappointment in marriage and in life simply just becomes comes from these expectations that we had that are unfulfilled, right? Matter of fact, William Shakespeare said it best when he said that expectation is really the root of all heartache. And so we find ourselves disappointed. And disappointment is such a powerful thing in our life. It can, it can, it can, it can cause our life to really just simply begin to change Courses and how we handle with that disappointment and how we handle with discouragement and how we handle with despair. The brain is a powerful thing that we have in our human body. I've got a picture of a brain for you. And it's, it's a very powerful thing in how it responds to these instances of life, how it responds to the trials and the, the tribulations and the pain that we all go through. We know through the study of science that, that when you experience physical pain, whether it be like a cut or, a, or like a bruise or maybe you hit your knee or maybe you broke a bone. We, we know that, that our brain releases endorphins quickly in those physical pain moments 
It releases endorphins to relieve the pain as much and as quick as possible. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Maybe you've like walked by and you've hit your hand and you did not realize it. And maybe like a couple minutes go by and you look down and maybe there's blood on your hand. You're like, well, how am I even bleeding? I don't remember like even hitting my hand. And then, then the pain comes, right? It's because these endorphins are released automatically from your brain. And so our brain reacts in, in instantly and instinctly when it comes to physical pain. But, but it's crazy when you understand the brain, and this morning it's not a science class, but I want to lay the foundation that neuroscientists, as they study this amazing part of our body, they, they, they begin to discover that something totally opposite happens when it comes to disappointment, when it comes to what we experience in our life. Matter of fact, they found out that there's this neuronal jolt that happens right before the very moment of disappointment happens in our life, that there's actually a decrease in serotonin, dopamine, and endorphin. So watch, the very things that our brain releases in order to cope with the physical pain of life, when it comes to the emotional pain of life, it actually decreases those substances in our body. So all of these molecules responsible for this well-being momentarily leaves our brain. And so the reality of disappointment, which is part of life, our brain still doesn't even know how to process it well. Even though it's something we experience day after day, week after week. And, and it's just basically what happens in our brain is these social and emotional principles that rule this part of our body begin to um, understand and begin to take over. And our brain wants to feel a part of something. It wants to, you know, have security. That's why, you know, if you have a good friend, you hope that the friendship never ends. If you have a spouse, right, you, you hope that they're sincere in, in what they say. You want to feel in life. We all have this desire to feel in life that there is no possibility of a lie or a letdown or a betrayal. And so when it comes to these psychological wounds of discouragement, of despair, of, of these things that we experience in, in life, this disappointment, when it comes to the psychological wounds, even though our brain knows how to interpret disappointment, it actually has an impact far greater on our emotional balance. And, and, and instead, on many occasions, what happens, it ends up summarizing our frustration. It comes out in physical pain, in migraines, in muscular tension, and all of these Things. That's why neurologists point out that the basic reason that disappointment hurts so much is because the brain doesn't know how to process it. So what happens, it takes over in the limbic system. Now I promise I'm taking you somewhere this morning. Just hang with me so we can understand. I want you to understand how we and why we process. What happens is it, it begins to take over in the limbic system. And the limbic system is really what is linked to your emotions. That's why most of the times when we suffer a setback or when someone fails us or when we're disappointed or when we're discouraged, what do we do? We filter those experiences in what? In an emotional way. And we let our emotions rule how we respond. And we let our emotions rule what we say to other people. Come on, you ever said something, you just popped off, and the moment it came out your mouth, you're like, shoot, I shouldn't have said that. You got emotional, right? You got emotional and you just said something to you that you know you shouldn't have said. So I'll take you back to Luke chapter 24 to understand how disappointment works in our life. And we, and we see the work of disappointment in these two individuals. 
We see the, the work of, dis, of despair, of, of discouragement. And disappointment is such a dangerous thing because it causes us to automatically go off our emotions and automatically go off of things that sometimes may be not true. It, it will cause us to begin to drift away from what we know to be true. You see a culture today that has drifted far away in many areas of life of what is true. And the arguments are what? Emotional. Well, I feel like this is my truth. I feel like this is what I think. I feel like I should have this control of my body. I feel every argument that we see in our culture today is what? It's an emotional argument. And it allows us and it causes us because of, of the way that we deal with the discouragement and deal with despair and, and deal with all of these things that are happening, the disappointments of life. We will find ourselves beginning to drift away from what God has for us. Matter of fact, that's what I want to talk to you this morning for the next couple minutes. Can I talk to you about the danger of drifting? Because here we find two disciples, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 24, walking on this road to Emmaus. About how many miles? Seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're talking to each other about everything that has happened. We're going to talk more about that. They're talk, what are they talking about? They find themselves full of disappointment and despair. They find themselves drifting away. Jerusalem is how many, or Emmaus is how many miles from Jerusalem? Seven. Seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. Jerusalem to the people of the, of the nation of Israel, Jerusalem represented power. Jerusalem represented promise. It represented purpose. It represented the presence of God. So here it is. They're, they're walking from Jerusalem, which represents power, purpose, promise, presence of God, and they're walking to Emmaus. You know what the name Emmaus means in biblical terms when you study that and you see what the, the city Emmaus means? That city, the name Emmaus means it represents obscurity. It represents a people that is scattered. That's what Emmaus means. So watch this. Th these two disciples, people that have walked with Christ, people that have heard his teachings, people that have saw the miracles, they're walking from Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem mean? Power, presence, purpose, prominence, right? All of these things of God, the promises of God. They're walking from Jerusalem that represents promise, and they're walking to Emmaus, the city of obscurity. And if we're not careful in our own life, hear me this morning, the danger of drifting when disappointment happens in our life, when discouragement comes and happens in our life, disappointment will become dangerous because I'll let it begin, I will begin to entertain it in my own life and it will cause me to walk away from the very things that God has called me to. I, I get discouraged in my marriage. I get discouraged in raising my family. I get discouraged or disappointed in my finances. And so what I would do, it would cause me to drift and I would begin to walk away from everything that God has for me because I'm disappointed. Because I'm emotional. I'm making these decisions not off of, of this. This is how my brain works. This is what happens. I'm an emotional being and I'm an emotional person. So, so my reactions become something that is not of God. And so I find myself leaving the very thing that God has called me to. And I begin to entertain those thoughts. The thoughts don't just come and take over. I entertain them. You know what the word entertain means? It means that I admit into my mind. I, I admit, I consider it, I, to, I hold 
to hold on to it in my mind. It's this picture that we have of these two individuals in Scripture that they are walking away from the purpose and the promise towards a place of obscurity or being despised. These two had expected so much and had believed so much, and yet they have found themselves discouraged and disappointed. They find themselves, Jesus said that he was going to come and he was the son of God and all of this stuff was going to happen, but we just saw him get crucified. We just saw him get buried. Now there's an empty tomb. Supposedly there's a couple women that saw him, but you know how ladies are when they make up stories. Who knows what they're saying is true? And, and supposedly someone else saw him, but we don't know if this is true or not. They don't even, I don't even know where the body is. Jesus said he was coming to do this. He's going to establish his kingdom. And I'm just so disappointed. I'm just discouraged. It doesn't look anything like I thought it would on this Sunday morning. That's what they're saying. And watch, watch this. In my, in my own life, disappointment will often come in my life from expectations that I feel have been unmet. Because the kingdom hadn't come the way they thought it had. Because Jesus hadn't showed up the way they thought it had. And don't look now, we do the same thing. Because God shows up different. Because we're praying a prayer and it hasn't been answered yet. Because we're like, man, I've been going, I've been working on my marriage, and my wife and I, we're talking, and we're working through our issues, but it seems like things aren't getting better. It seems like they're just staying the same. Pastor Matt, I've been on my finances. Man, I've been praying for a financial breakthrough. I'm trying to steward. I'm trusting God with my tithe, and it just seems like things aren't happening. And, and oftentimes, because of disappointments, watch this, because of disappointments, we'll actually walk away from the promise of God instead of towards him. Because we're discouraged. We're despair. It looks different than what we thought it should look like. It's, it's taking longer than what we thought it should take. Now what, now, what I love about Jesus is he lets them vent and tell all of their anxieties and all of their stress and all of their worries and all of their concerns. I love how Jesus is walking with them and, and, and just kind of listening to their complaining and to their stories. Aren't you glad he doesn't just kick us to the curb when we do that, right? That, that, that sometimes in our prayers, instead of praying, we're really complaining to God, but he actually listens to us. And so Jesus is walking with him. He's on this journey I love that even though while, while I'm struggling, God never kicks me to the curb. He keeps walking with me while I'm, while I'm war working through disappointments in life, while I'm working through my doubts in life. What I love about God is that even though I wander sometimes in life and I drift away, he still stays right alongside of me and he still walks with me and he still doesn't leave me. But if we're not careful, disappointment doesn't just, it's not just a brain thing that stays in our brain. As, it, as we begin to entertain in our thoughts, it begins to leak, leak out into our emotions, into our talk, into our action, into how we respond to people, into how we respond to God's word, into how we begin to speak over our life. You've ever been around people that's been, that's been disappointed and you begin to hear their talk, everything is negative. Everything is down. I was in a meeting a couple days ago. I went with an individual to a, to a place, a, a city, a couple cities over. And, and, and this individual, as we begin to walk and, and see some things, and they was talking, you could just hear the disappointment and the frustration in their life that was going on. And it was real, but everything that was coming out of their mouth was negative. There was no good coming out of their mouth. I got discouraged by the time just I left with them. I was upset and just as discouraged as they were. <laughs> Because everything was coming out of their mouth was just, was just negative and it was just down talk and it was just stuff that was discouraging. And, and so listen, God doesn't negate what we go through. God doesn't, he's not asking us to act like we don't have reality and we don't see these circumstances and we don't have these disappointments in life. But you and I have to be careful that when those disappointments come, that, it, that we don't allow them to begin to drift us away from what God has for us. Because it doesn't just allow us to drift 
That way, can, can I talk to you now about the danger of delusions? Because that's really what started happening in their life, the danger of, of delusions. You read on in Luke chapter 24, verse 17 to 20. The Bible says that he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still and their faces what? Come on, say it. Their faces what? Downcast. Their faces are sad. Now again, they've heard two accounts right now so far that Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. People have seen him. And yet they find themselves sad. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? I can imagine Jesus like he don't know. Like what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, watch this, circle this, he was a prophet. Do you see what they just called him? He was a prophet, powerful in word and dead, and powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people, the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. So watch, if I don't handle my disappointments, what are you talking about this morning? If I don't handle my disappointments, my discouragements, the moments of despair in my life, if I don't handle them properly, not only will they cause me to drift away from the things of God, not only will they call me to drift away from what God has for me, to drift away from, what, from the blessings that he has for me, to drift away from the truth that he has spoken over me, they don't just cause me to drift, they also cause me to be delusional. Now, never call this, never call your spouse this if you're arguing that you're delusional, but, but your emotional, the emotions when they take over, if we're honest with ourselves, we, it really causes us to be delusional about what we see around us. I'll put it like this. What, whatever I give attention to in my life, I immediately give authority and access. Whatever I, I put my focus onto, I almost, I almost titled this point, the authority of attention. Because whatever I give attention to, if, if all I do is focus on the negative things, guess what? My talk is going to be negative. If all I do is focus on how bad our country is, guess what? Our thought is going to be this country's terrible. If all I do is focus on, man, this generation is, is crazy, they're, they're, they're going to hell, they can't be reached for Jesus, guess what? I will talk that they can't be reached for Jesus. If all I do is focus my attention on how tough my marriage is or the season that I'm going through or the financial strain that I might be in, I don't deny reality. I'm not saying that. But if I allow my attention and my focus to whatever I give my attention to, I immediately give authority and access to. That's why I 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 says it like this, that we demolish every argument. And what do we do? We take captive every thought. We, we don't give it the, the, the time. We don't, we don't give it the, the energy. We don't give it the authority to take seed and to take root into our life because disappointments will make us be blind to the reality that is going on around us. Disappointments will make us miss out on the truth of what's really happening. Again, I'm not negating that we don't experience things. I'm not saying that we don't go through things in life and it causes pain in our life. However, if I give attention to the disappointment and to the despair and to the discouragement, that is what's going to have authority and access in my life. Here it is. Now I know they don't know who Jesus is. He's been hidden from them. They don't realize that it's Jesus. But as they begin to rehearse the story, go read the text for yourself. 
as they begin to talk to this man who is Jesus, and they rehearse the story, and he says, well, what are you, you know, what about, the, you know, what are you talking about, what's been going on? They don't say, well, hey, listen, there was a guy, Jesus, who was the son of God, and he came to this earth to die for the sins. He was the ultimate sacrifice, and he said he was going to be buried in the grave, but he was going to rise in three days, and here it is, guess what, three days, just like he said it would. I knew he wasn't a liar, and here it is, the grave is empty, and man, we're just so excited. That's not the talk they were having. They were not talking out of excitement. They were not talking out of, man, I, what he said happened is really going to happen. They were so discouraged. Go back to verse 19. And when, he, when, they, when, he, when they talk of Jesus, look at what they said in verse 19. What did they say? He was a prophet. Watch. They, they assigned a label to Jesus that wasn't even proper. That was totally opposite of everything they had learned. It was totally opposite of everything they had heard. It was totally opposite of everything they had seen. These are disciples. These are those who had followed Christ. They had seen the miracles. They had been around his teaching. And so what do they do? They resort back to their emotions and not to the truth that they had been taught their whole life. And don't judge them too harshly because we do the same thing. When life happens, God, I don't know if you can heal me in this instance. That's not what his word says. When, when struggles come and storms come, God, I don't, I don't know. This storm might be the one that gets me. This storm, my joy is being lost. Well, the word says that this joy that I have, that, that it comes from him. The world didn't give it to me. The circumstances don't give it to me. Life doesn't give it to me. But with my peace that surpasses all understanding comes from my power and from my Father above, from his Holy Spirit, I have a joy. I have a peace. I have an understanding. I have something that far surpasses everything going on around me. But if I allow my emotion to begin to drive what I'm talking, what I'm saying, I find myself being delusional. That these two disciples could not even recognize Jesus and they saw him as a stranger. Now, now we know again through text and through study, we know that Jesus had hid himself. But, 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 but one writer said it like this, that what happened on the outward appearance, what happened on the external in the story, what happened on the external in this account was really just a proclamation of what was going on the inside of their heart, that Jesus exposed outwardly what was going on really inwardly inside of them, that they had found themselves so discouraged and so despaired that, that, that they did not even recognize him. They did not see him. And listen, we do it oftentimes in our own life because a storm comes or a trial comes or it looks different or it takes longer than what we thought it would be or, or it doesn't feel like we thought it would feel. We begin to say, God, where are you? All right. God, why haven't you showed up yet? God, why haven't you showed your, your face in my life? God, why haven't you answered this prayer yet? They were reasoning what we often do. They were starting to reason with their natural mind. They were starting to reason. They were starting to examine. And so their talk and their discussion was everything of the natural. It, it was not anything they had been heard or anything they had been taught or anything they had seen. And if we're not careful, disappointment does the same thing in our own life. It makes us stray away from truth. And we begin to base our responses. We begin to base what we're saying about our situations. We begin to base what we're saying about other people. We, be, it begins to, we begin to base what we're saying about our circumstances all on our feelings, which are what? Subjective. Feelings are subjective. How you feel about this message right now and how I feel about this message right now are totally different. We, we can walk out, out, out of these doors today and we can get in our cars and someone can 
pull out in front of both of us, you know, and cut us off in traffic. And, and how you feel about that instance will be different than how I feel about that instance. Why? Because feelings are subjective. Feelings change. Right? Your experiences are, are different than mine. And, and so what we have to understand, what we have to know when it comes to discouragement, when it comes to these moments in our life, if we want to have control over what we are talking about, if we want to control what it is that we are saying, we, we cannot get together and just let our emotions dictate how we respond. Because if we let our emotions dictate how we respond, I will begin to doubt with my prayer life. Oh, we don't say it out loud, but we do. When we pray, but do we, really, do we really believe what we're praying? I mean, God, I know you're a healer, but, I mean, can you really heal this one? I mean, God, I, I know you, you can restore, but I don't know. My life is in a pretty messed up place right now. Do, do you really have the ability to restore? We, we doubt with our prayers. We doubt with our attitudes towards other people. We don't recognize Jesus at work in our lives because it looks different than we thought it would. It looks different than we thought it should. It looks different. We didn't know we were going to have to go through a storm so we can know him as a God of peace. We didn't know we were going to have to go through this battle so we can know him as a God of peace. We, we didn't know that all of this stuff was going to work. And because it looks a little bit different, because we find ourselves discouraged, we let ourselves become a people that are, that are not only just drifting, but now we've become delusional. No matter how close we are to God, no matter how effective our prayer life may feel, how deep the study of our scripture may, may be, we often forget, we often drift, and we lose heart, and we end up a little depressed, a little cynical, walking on this road just like these two disciples, thinking to ourselves, well, maybe it's just too late. It didn't go my way. Maybe it's because God is not here. Maybe he's missing. Maybe he's gone. The power of discouragement. It's quietening. It will make us drift. It will make us delusional. And if we stopped there, that would be pretty depressing. If we prayed right now and went home, that would be pretty depressing. If the story stopped right there, that would not be a good place to stop. But listen, if you and I want to understand how do we have the power, how do we control what we, we talk, look at what Jesus, here's his response to him. Now watch. In, in verse 25, now he picks up. He said to them, how foolish you are. And slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter in his glory? And verse 27, and beginning with Moses, he said, I got to take you all the way back to the OG. This is how jacked up y'all are. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So watch, here are these two disciples discouraged. Despair is affecting now not only have they walked away, now they're talking negative. The things that they're rehearsing and they're telling themselves and even telling Jesus. They don't even realize it's Jesus. They can't even see him in their presence because they're just so wrapped up with everything else going on. And Jesus listens to them for a little bit, lets them talk. And finally Jesus like, enough, enough. And the Bible says that he takes them back to Scripture. Now in the Old Testament, you got to know, the Bible says that he takes them all the way back to Moses. All the way back to the very beginning, and he begins to unpack. Now, now, if you begin to study Scripture, in the Old Testament, there's roughly 300 references in the Old Testament for Jesus. So this is how many references he's, he's about to start unpacking for them. 300 references. Let me take you back and tell you these 300 things. That's why they're going to have to stop at a house in a minute and have a meal, because they're tired and exhausted. Jesus done schooled them for 300 different references, right? So he takes them all the way back to Scripture, 
and he reminds them of everything that had happened in order to, to, work, to get them to where they were. Now picture this. It's afternoon, Sunday. Cleophas and his wife, many people say this is who the other individual is. It's possibly his wife, the other disciple. They're on their way home. They're going back to Emmaus, leaving the promise, leaving the purpose, leaving power. They're roughly walking seven miles. They're in this deep conversation of really complaining, this deep conversation of really cynicism, this deep conversation of really frustration that has happened. And it's been a Passover weekend to remember for sure, but, but it's one that has just been a nightmare. They've seen Jesus crucified. They've seen him buried. And now there's an empty tomb. And all they know and all they see is just broken dreams. All they see is a future that looks dark. Their supremely gifted leader, Jesus, their prophet, their Messiah, has been brutally put to death. That was Friday. Here it is Sunday. Nobody knows where he's at. And all they find themselves is just in a place of discouragement. It's just a place of rumor, confusion, an empty tomb, a sighting of angels, two women telling a story, nothing more than just hysteria and wishful thinking really in their mind. And watch, instead of sympathizing, he lets them tell the story. Jesus stops them. He says, you're foolish. He says, he, instead of sympathizing, he finally stops them and he says, you're foolish. And then he takes it a step further. You're slow. Now you can interpret that how you want to interpret that. But if somebody calls me slow, I know what they're saying. He says, you're foolish and you're slow. And he takes them all the way back to Scripture. And Jesus talks about his death and his resurrection in the light of Scriptures. They were despairing for the future because, watch this. Watch this is what I'm trying to show you. They were so discouraged because they had got to a point in their life that they had sold out and they were believing their own thinking instead of the Word of God. They were believing everything that they were feeling instead of the Word of God. They were reciting their emotions they were reciting their circumstances. They were reciting um, all of the things that they had experienced. They were reciting cynicism. They were reciting the hysteria. They were reciting confusion. And Jesus stepped up and started to recite scripture. He started to illuminate the truth and the word of God. And this is what I've come to find out in my life is oftentimes when disappointment comes or when discouragement comes, I will find myself talking scared when I've listened to the wrong source. Don't we do it all the time? Come on, don't act like you ain't never done this before. But I will ask anyone and everyone else their opinion about a situation. This is even better. I love how people need married advice, and they'll go to somebody who's never been married before for marriage advice. And I'm like, really? Or even better yet, they'll go to someone who's been married like eight or nine times. I'm like, what should you do in this situation in order to make my marriage? That is the last person we will ask anyone, we'll Google it on the internet, we will do anything we can, right, in order to figure out a situation. We will go to any source and any situation. We'll ask people their opinion. We'll ask people what would they do. We would ask people how should I respond to this person that let me down. We will ask all of these things and we'll never go to the true source of knowledge. And we wonder why we're scared. We wonder why we talk defeat. We wonder why we talk negative. We wonder why we talk in a place that is just 
focus on our circumstances and our situations is because we haven't understood the power and to go back to the word of God and say, but what does God say about my life? What does God say about my marriage? What does God say about my circumstances? What does God say about this healing? What does God say about his power at work in my life? See, if you and I want to understand and if we want to get to the point where we control what we're talking about, we can't let it be tied to our, our circumstances. We can't let it be tied to what we experience, to what we see, but we got to remind ourselves as people of God that we go back to his word and we begin to declare his promises. We begin to declare his principles over our life. We begin to declare the things that he has spoken and has written down and we take it as his word for us because his word is everlasting. His word through Christ Jesus, his promises are yes and amen. And that is what I begin to declare over my life. If, if I could take you back to the brain, neurologists teach us that the only way to reduce the impact of, of disappointment, the only way to, in, to reduce the impact is that we have to force it out of, out of the, the one area I told you about earlier, and we have to force it to our cerebral cortex, which is our cortex of reason. That's the cortex of, of where we begin to understand truth. And, and again, that's where we begin to understand and we put our focus on the objective things of life, on the objective word of God, that it's not just a feeling, it's not just a suggestion, but it's the, it's the truth of God's word. Again, what did, what did Jesus do? Some of y'all, you've read the story before. The Bible, right before his ministry started, he goes out into the wilderness and he's fasting for, for 40 days and, and the devil comes and tempts him. Right, and he says, oh Jesus, if you're really the son of God, take this stone and turn it into some bread. And Jesus doesn't argue his feelings. Jesus doesn't argue his emotions. He doesn't say, well, you know what? I am feeling a little hungry, but I really shouldn't. He doesn't argue none of that stuff. No, what, how does Jesus argue back with the devil? He looks at him and he says, listen, Scripture says man, I live, man may not, should not live on bread alone. He begins to argue the enemy with what? Truth. Scripture. He begins to dictate that conversation by, by things that, 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 that he knows. And you and I have to do the same thing when those, when those moments in life come and we're discouraged and, and we're despair and, and we have things in our life that feel like we've let us down. We cannot let ourselves just be, be driven by our emotions and driven by what culture says or driven by what other people are saying. But we must stand on the truth of God on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other things around me are sinking sand when I begin to plant my life on the word of God when the winds of life come, when the rains of life come, because I've planted my life on the rock, the solid foundation of Jesus Christ and his word, my house, my life becomes steady, and I'm not shaking. Jesus, he tells these two disciples, remember, this is supposed to happen. God planned it out this way. He laid it out this way. It had to happen this way. If Jesus hadn't died, there would be no forgiveness for the sin. If his death didn't happen, there would be no redemption of the world. So, so, the, so they're on this, 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 this road, and Jesus begins to illuminate truth. I don't know what it is in your life, but what is it in your life that you need to illuminate truth on? Not your feelings, not your circumstances, not what other people say, but, but what is it that, that God says? If I could talk to you lastly, that's not when the life change happens on a life. You would, you would think when they heard scripture, 300 references back to Jesus. 300 
things that Jesus unpacked go all the way back to Moses, he begins to line them. You would think at some point they would have the aha moment. Oh, yeah, this dude knows something. Maybe this is Jesus, right? But, but it doesn't happen there. Go to Luke chapter 24, verse 30. And I'm almost done. Verse 30 through 32. So he has this conversation with them. They're talking, right, and they're on this road. They get to the city, and Jesus acts like he's got to go on it. But they beg him, listen, could you please stay? Teach us some more. And come in and have a meal with us. Let's just hang out. So verse 30, Jesus comes in. He, he decides, all right, I'm going to stay with you. And they come and they sit at the table and watch. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he began to give it to them. In verse 31, what does it say? Then, come on, what does it say? Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. Boom, he's gone. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us and on the road and opened the scripture to us? Here it is, they find themselves discouraged. They've drifted away. They find themselves discouraged. They've become delusional in their talk. They begin to rehearse everything that was untrue. Jesus shows up, begins to unpack scripture to them. 300 instances, he reminds them of it. And, and they find themselves, though, I find it so crazy. This isn't in your notes, but, but you see first, this is what happens. They have contact. Write that down. There was contact with Jesus. And contact with Jesus is important. Con contact with Jesus is, is very important. Coming to church, having con this is what we're doing. You're having contact with Jesus this morning. Hopefully as you're out in your community, you're showing Jesus. People are having contact with Jesus. Or seeing the light, the salt. That's what he called us to do. That's contact with Jesus. That is very important. But that didn't bring the life change, did it? That's not what opened their eyes. Come on, y'all just read the scriptures. That what opened their eyes when Jesus showed up. They did not even recognize him. So there was contact with Jesus, and then we see that they had a conversation with Jesus, and all conversation is very good. We should have a conversation with Jesus through prayer, through his word. Today, this is what the Spirit hopefully is having a conversation with your heart through his word. Conversation with Christ is, is important. Matter of fact, they even said in verse 32, they said, we're, we're not our hearts burning within us. Like when he started unpacking the scripture, and scripture does that. That's why you got to get in the Word. It begins to ignite some things in your life. It begins to stir up, right, the faith. I was telling the first service, I've got some things in my life that I'm going through, and, I, and I've got a whole, whole Word document of just nothing but scriptures on this particular topic that I'm praying for that I just read and I pray. Just, just a big document that I'm just reading and praying, a scripture. Scripture is important. But were their eyes open after they heard all the scripture? Come on, were their eyes open when they heard all the scripture? No, it wasn't. Watch, it wasn't until, write it down, it wasn't until they had communion with Jesus that the Bible says their eyes were open. It wasn't until they got in his presence. It wasn't until they sat at the table. Historians will tell us that, that really what illuminated, it wasn't the mere fact. Now it sounds like something that we see at the Last Supper when he breaks the bread during communion, that we do the, 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 the supplements that, that we do, that we break the bread and we take the juice, that it, it was because of that that they were kind of, for the lack of better words, triggered back to that moment. But we know that these two disciples weren't at the Last Supper, so it had not, nothing to do with anything symbolic of communion. But history and, and theologians will tell us that when Jesus sat down, he didn't just sit down randomly at the table. He sat down at the master seat. 
to show them I'm in charge of this. I've got this. And, and when he sits down at the master's seat, and as he takes the bread and he begins to take control of the room, that's basically what he's doing. He's taking control of the circumstances and the situations that are going on around. That immediately their eyes, the Bible says their eyes were open and they recognized him. They recognized him while simply because they got in a place where they sat at a table and they got in his presence and saw him for who he was. They were no longer distracted by circumstances. They were no longer distracted by cynicism. They were no longer distracted by the chaos that was going on around them. But they got in a place. They got in a room. And they, got, and they saw Jesus face to face as master. They saw Jesus face to face as Lord. The, the word of God started burning. The word of God was burning in their heart. But when they got in his presence, something changed. And listen, for you and I, oh, we can be so good when we come and we have contact. Oh, I love contact with Jesus. And, and we can have conversation and we can get in his word and his word begins to ignite and his word begins to do some things in our life. But hear me this morning, Jesus is saying to us, our eyes need to get open. Jesus is saying our talk changes when we get in his presence and realize he is and realize who he is and realize that he's still in charge and realize that he still has us in his hands and realize that he hasn't forgot about us and realize that he still loves us, that's when our talk begins to change. Jesus, as he symbolically broke the bread, as he blessed it, as he thinking, he, he was reminding them, he says, listen, you're upset with me because, but you're upset right now because you're, you're upset that I'm not with you, but you're missing it because there's something greater. He says, I'm about to be in you. Because we know the story. He sends them to the city. He says, don't leave. My promise is coming. I'm going to send a comforter. He said, I've been with you, but now something's about to be greater. I'm about to be in you. And you and I, we must remember as we face discouragement, as we go through these things in life, as we have these things that cause us to drift and be a delusional. But if we come back to the truth of God, one, of God's word, and we remember that not only is God for me, not God, not only is God with me, but through his spirit and through his power, he is also in me. I have relationship with him. I have access to his power. Will my life face troubles? Yes. Will, will my life have difficulties? Yes. Will I battle dark times? Absolutely. Will I go through trials and tribulations? Yes, I will. But you and I must continue to stand upon the promises of God's word that God is still a miracle working God. That God is still a God that shows up in time of crisis. That God is still a God that brings joy. That God, even though it looks different, even though it sounds different, even though it might take longer than what I've been praying, but God shows up in unexpected ways to heal me, to encourage encourage me, to help me, to bring me through. He has not abandoned me. He has not left me. He is still with me. And when the enemy comes and makes me feel discouraged, when the enemy comes and tries to bring me despair, I stand on the truth of God's word that he restores me, that he turns my sorrow and he turns my confusion into rejoicing, that he can turn my storms into times of peace, that he can turn those circumstances that seem like they're not going to wake or work out into a time of restoration. It was the scripture watch. Stand with me. I'm out of time. It was the scripture watch that kindled the hope. Stand on your feet. It was the scripture that, that, that kindled the hope that they had. They said, we're not our hearts burning. But it was communion that set it ablaze. It was when they got in this presence that it, 
It turned everything that they were feeling. It turned everything that they were experiencing. Listen, it's, it's not that I don't read enough scripture. It's not that I don't have enough contact with Christ. But my question for you is, do you have communion with him this morning? Do you spend time in his presence? In the midst of chaos, in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of disappointments and despair that may be in this room this morning, that is online this morning, at North Judson this morning, do you, do you spend time in his presence? The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. When I get in his presence, everything begins to melt away. And, and their encounter, watch this, their encounter to Jesus, they have this encounter, he disappears, the Bible says. And, and what happens? They immediately get up and they run back to Jerusalem. And now their talk, they're not complaining. Now their talk is not, woe is me. Now their talk is not, are we going to make it? They, they, they show up in verse 33. It says they got up, they returned once to Jerusalem. They, they, there they found the 11 and those with them that assembled together. And they said, hey, hey, guess what? It's true. We saw him. Let me, let me tell you the story. Let, let me tell you, I, I, I don't have, I can't go back to all the references of the scripture that he gave me, but I can tell you what I experienced. I can tell you I saw him. I can tell you I sat with him. I can tell you I was in his presence. I can tell you I saw his hands. I can tell you I saw his feet. And they begin to share their story. Listen, what is God asking us to do? We don't have to have all the theological answers for our culture today. We don't have to have all the answers for our own life today. But when we get in his presence and he begins to change our focus and he, be he begins to change what we see, he changes what we say. And as we begin to go out we declare the promises of God we declare the goodness of God we declare the hope of God we declare the salvation of God not that it means that everything magically goes away but we remind ourselves who the master is sitting at our table who the master is sitting at our presence who the master is feeding us our thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week if you would like to partner with us and give please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.